Hello and welcome to A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, where I'll be digging through my vinyl collection of about 500 records and my tiny brain of about 500 remaining brain cells and taking a light-hearted, laid-back and positive fanboys look at my favourite songs and bits of songs that fall within a different set theme every episode. Choosing from any song part that gives me joy as a listener or a slight Norwegian wood as a musician. It won't be a countdown, but I will leave my favourite choice for last. This is just a bit of chilled, unnecessary fun that hopefully inspires someone to buy a record, listen to an old favourite album, support a musician, and check out all this amazing shit that has formed the soundtrack of my life. As a lot of people like to share their opinions these days, please let me know if you think that I have missed anything in my record collection that I know and that I like by sending me an email at I won't ever check this email address at gofuckyourself.cock and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. But seriously, if you do have any suggestions, you can hit me at suggestions at arockandrollrabbithole.com. I'd love to hear from you and check out some new music, some old music, great YouTube interviews, anything rocking and entertaining. I love it all. And if you dig what I'm doing, feel free to tell a friend or two and subscribe to the podcast. You can also visit the website www.arockandrollrabbithole.com for Spotify playlists of each episode, past episodes and some other golden magic. Also, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and here we go. Before we start on this week's rabbit hole, I really just want to take a second to thank everyone who reached out to me this week with some very kind words and everyone who listened, shared and subscribed to the podcast social media pages. The weird little app that you get when you upload a podcast gives you a heap of stats and lists all of the countries that people have downloaded it in. In the five days the episode's been up, I've had downloads in 29 countries. Argentina, Bolivia, Colombia, Czech Republic, Germany, Dominican Republic, Ecuador, Spain, Honduras, Laos, Mongolia, Nigeria, New Zealand, Papua New Guinea, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Sudan, Uganda, Venezuela, Iran, Jamaica, Mexico, UK, India, Philippines, Canada, United States, Australia, and Thailand. Popcorn cup. Thank you so much, guys. Cheers. That's very humbling. Thank you so much for listening. Anyway, thanks again to everyone, and here's episode two. Oh, Brian, come here. Would you mind listening to this song I've written for Susie Swanson and tell me what you think? Okay. Susie, you're a baby. That's, that's all I have so far. That was horrible. Well, I've still got to do a little work on it. What's it called? Susie. Wow, a song named after a girl. There aren't a million of those already. Name 20. Rosanna, Roxanne, Michelle, Allison, Sarah, Angie, Brandy, Mandy, Gloria, Cecilia, Maggie Mae, Jessica, Nancy, Barbara, Ann, Billie Jean, Layla, Lola, Polly, Helena, Jenny from the Block. Name six more. Sherry, Laura, Wendy, Maria, Peggy Sue, Minnie the Moocher. Name five more. Tracy, Jean, Jane, Mary Ann, Eleanor Rigby. Go fuck yourself. 
This episode of A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole is all about the ladies, songs with girls' names in the title. My vinyl collection has so many great rockin' and beautiful songs that have a girl's name in the title. There were so many to choose from, too many in fact, so here's the best of them. First up, I wanted to start with a Beatles song. They have a heap of great songs that qualify. I decided on choosing a song that Paul McCartney wrote and was originally titled Miss Daisy Hawkins. John, Paul and George all sing on this song but don't play an instrument. And the rest of the performers were each given a standard musician's union fee of £9 for their work and performed to a score written by George Martin. Two brief rehearsals took place, one with and one without vibrato. In 1966, the song took home Grammy Award for Best Contemporary Pop Vocal Performance by a Male Here's Paul talking about the track. The Rigby was um, when I was when I was really little. Um, I lived on w- what we call a housing estate, uh, which is like the project. There were a lot of old ladies, and I enjoyed sitting around with these older ladies because they they had these great stories. In in this case, about World War Two, you know, and one in particular who I used to kind of just visit and I'd kind of go shopping for her, you know, she couldn't get out. So anyway, so I remember her. So I had that figure in my mind of a sort of lonely old lady. And over the years I'd met a couple of others and I don't know, maybe the loneliness made me sort of empathize with them. But I, I, I thought it was a great character. So I, I started this song about lonely old lady who picks up the rice in the church, who, never really uh, gets the dreams in her life. And uh, then I added in the, the priest, the vicar, Father Mackenzie. And so there was just the two characters, you know. So it was nice, it was like writing a, a short story. And, but it was based basically on these old ladies that I had known as, as a kid. Father Mackenzie in the song, I originally had Father McCartney, but when I came to finish it up with John, I brought it to John and we were playing it around. And I said, uh, I, don't want, I don't want to call this Father McCartney because it's like my dad. It just is a bit confusing. And he said, no, it's fine. So I said, no, I don't like it. So I said, okay, let's change it. So we got the phone book. We just went right down to sort of McCartney, 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 and looked for something, something. And the next one was like Mackenzie. I said, that's better. So he became Father Mackenzie. Sometimes I do that, you know, just to block it out. So you, so you don't spend forever trying to figure out the exact lyric. You just go ba da 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 da. So it could be Barbara Hawkins, Miss Daisy. And you, you just leave it for like that, and then you go, I don't really like that. So I was looking around for another name. This is a kind of strange story about that, because I, I, wanted, I like the name Eleanor. We've been working with an actress called Eleanor Braun in uh, the Beatles film Help. So I like the name Eleanor, but I was looking for this Eleanor Papa to make the, the rhythm. So I was looking for this nice 
surname. And uh, I happened to be in Bristol, and the, I saw a shop that said Rigby. So I thought, oh, great, Eleanor Rigby. So now I had the, the name of my main character. But then years later, somebody else is researching this. And they said, you know, in that village where, you used to, where John used to live, um, there's a graveyard uh, in the church. And there is a gravestone there to an Eleanor Rigby. So I said, did I subconsciously know that name? Why would I go around searching for it? I don't know. I think it's maybe a coincidence, but there is a gravestone in Liverpool in, in a place called Walton where me and John met that does say Eleanor Rigby. up the rice in the church where a wedding has been lives in a dream waits at the window wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door who is it for all the lonely people where do they all come from all the lonely people where do they all belong father Kenzie, writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear. No one comes near, look at him working, donning his socks in the night when there's nobody there. What does he care? Next up is another great Paul McCartney pen song that uses a girl's name as part of its title. The song was a top five hit across Europe and topped the US Billboard Hot 100. It really has a similar vibe lyrically to me as Eleanor Rigby because it mentions specific individual and ordinary characters in their daily routines and their thoughts. Here's Paul McCartney again talking about the origins of this song's name. Penny Lane is, is a place in Liverpool that um, was kind of central when I was growing up because it literally it is a bus depot. We used to call it a bus depot. So if you take one route of bus, and you've got to change routes and go off this way. It's Penny Lane that you change at, you know. So when, uh, when John and I were writing songs later, we often used to just hark back to places that we both remembered, you know. Um, and I came up with this idea for Penny Lane. There'd been a barber shop, which is still there actually, where you know those haircut photos where you can choose what haircut you want? It's kind of, it's, it's like a, almost like a pop art kind of thing, those photos. So, you know, that got the line, there's a barber showing photographs uh, of every head he's had the pleasure to know. So that's him. And then on the other corner, Penny Lane, is uh, a bank. So I made up this story about the banker and the motor car and the children laughing at him. And then just down the road there is a fire station. So we made up the story about the bloke with the clean machine. I tied it all together and then uh, the last verse is uh, behind the shelter in the middle of the roundabout, which is the Penny Lane thing itself. They're just memories, really, you know, pulled together and uh, given a kind of slightly poetic treatment. And uh, it's really just memories of my Liverpool childhood. Penny Lane, there is a barber showing photographs Of every head he's had the pleasure to know And all the people that come and go Stop and say hello Motor car 
At a 2010 gig at the White House, Elvis Costello explains in front of Paul, who was in the audience, what he felt about the song when it came out. I would just like to say this, that music is often a us-against-them proposition, and the next song that you're going to hear is named after a place from which my mother comes from about half a mile away. So you can imagine when this thing of wonder and beauty came on the radio, Myself as a young man, my dad, my mam, and the cat all stood up and took notice. And uh, I think that's a beautiful way that Paul's songs unite us. Thank you. I love you. And thank you for your songs and your friendship. tells a story of an old lady who lives in a nursing home. She lives a quiet and still existence as she gradually loses her memory. It was inspired by the singer's grandmother who suffered from Alzheimer's. It also has one of my favourite pre-choruses ever. Veronica Elvis Costello. Is it all in that pretty little head of yours? What goes on in that place in the dark? Well, I used to know a girl I could have sworn that her name was Veronica. Well, she used to have a carefree mind of her own and a delicate look in her eyes. These days I'm afraid she's not even sure if her name was Veronica. demo version of Veronica really has a Buddy Holly vibe to it, which ties into my next choice. Is it all in that pretty little head of yours? What goes on in that place in the dark? Well, I used to know a girl and I could have sworn that her name was Veronica. Well, she used to have a carefree mind of her own With a delicate look in her eye These days I'm afraid she's not even sure If her name is Veronica 
The next song was originally titled Cindy Lou. When the drummer and co-writer Jerry Allison first heard the lyrics, he suggested that they change the song's name and name it after a girl he had dated. They all agreed as the song probably wouldn't be heard outside of Texas and it would really mean some brownie points for Jerry. This worked. He and Peggy Sue eloped in 1958, but they divorced nine years later. Peggy Sue, Buddy Holly. Buddy Holly wrote a sequel to Peggy Sue called Peggy Sue Got Married and recorded a demo version in his New York City apartment on December the 5th, 1958, accompanied by only himself on guitar. After his death on February 3rd, 1959, at the age of just 22, the tape was discovered and enhanced for a commercial release, with the addition of backing vocals, electric guitar and drums, and it was released as a single on July 20, 1959. The next choice was written from an idea the singer got after walking through the red light district of Paris when his band was in town to play at a club called the Nashville where he saw prostitutes for the first time. He imagined what it would be like to fall in love with one of them, figuring some of them must have boyfriends. This song was the band's first major release as a single and was the first song they played together in 2007 when they reformed after a 20 year hiatus. That tour made them the world's highest earning musicians in 2008 and grossed $358 million, making it the third highest grossing tour of all time at its conclusion. The intro of the song contains one of the great happy accidents in rock history. There was an upright piano in the studio and the singer sat on the lid thinking it was closed. The tape was rolling for his vocal, so the sound of his butt hitting the piano and the subsequent laughter were recorded. These sounds were mixed into the intro, providing a unique texture. The BBC wouldn't play this song, so the band spread the word that it was banned from the network because of its subject matter, a story that helped build the band's reputation. Here's the singer talking about the song's origins. We were in Paris with the early version of The Police and uh, we were staying in a very, very cheap motel in a very sort of seedy part of town and in the street were all these, uh, you know, Belle de Nuit 
ladies of the night. Yes. And I'd never been exposed to that. And I, I was kind of fascinated by it. I couldn't afford one. Right. So I kind of conjured one up in my room as a Roxanne. I right. imagined her. And I'm thinking, well, what would it be like to actually be married to one of these girls? By the way, right here in the beginning, I should point out, you were recording the song. You fell over the piano? The piano was right behind me, and I just I just kind of relaxed. I thought the lid was down, Yeah. and the lid wasn't down, and I played a chord with my ass, Your and ass that's on hit. the record, and then I start laughing. Yeah, because right in the beginning, I hear that laugh, and I hear that shitty chord, which yeah. works so great. Everybody knows it, but if you listen carefully right here, ass. that's your ass hitting yeah. the, the piano. <laughs> so here you're a guy who's an unknown. The first time you hear this on the radio, oh, where are you? I remember that. I was painting my my kitchen in uh, I had a basement flat in Bayswater in London um, my little son was on the floor I was up some ladders painting uh, some white emulsion on the ceiling yeah with the radio on and then that song came on yeah and I, and I started singing and I went fuck I'm on the radio <laughs> gave me a longer career than I would have had if I'd been successful at 18 or 19 or 20. I'd had a life. I'd had a job with a pension. I'd paid a mortgage. I'd had a kid. All of those things gave me an appreciation of reality. That probably saved my life. It's very rare I can get away with not singing Roxanne. I said this last night, I was in the middle of the song, I said, I wonder how many times I've sung this fucking song, you know. Every night of my life for 32 years. And I add it up, you know, like 30, I think it's a lot, right? <laughs> and she still doesn't listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> Sting's character of Roxanne makes a guest appearance on the Arctic Monkeys' great song, When the Sun Goes Down. I've been banned amongst some other offences I've seen him with girls of the night And he told Roxanne to put on her red light They're all infected but he'll be alright Cos he's a scumbag, don't you know I said he's a scumbag, don't you know
This next song was the first punk song to ever hit the pop charts, charting at number 22 in the UK and number 81 in the US in 1977. The name Sheena came from Sheena, Queen of the Jungle, who was a kind of female Tarzan character, which was popular in comic books and TV series in the 40s and 50s. Semi-interesting side note about the song, it was produced by drummer Tommy Ramone and Tony Bon Jovi, John Bon Jovi's cousin. Here's the song with the world's quickest count-in. I think it's a count-in. The Ramones. Sheena is a punk rocker. next song was written by Eric Clapton and drummer Jim Gordon and the lyrics are about George Harrison's wife Patty. She and Clapton had been living together in 1974 and married in 1979. Clapton and Harrison surprisingly remained really good friends with George playing at their wedding along with Paul McCartney and Ringo. In an article published in The Guardian Patty said, I wasn't so happy when Eric wrote the song while I was still married to George. I felt I was being exposed. I was amazed and thrilled at the song. It was so passionate and devastatingly dramatic, but I wanted to hang on to my marriage. Eric made this public declaration of love. I resisted his attentions for a long time. I didn't want to leave my husband, but obviously when things got so bad for George and me, it was the end of our relationship. We both had to move on. famous guitar riff and played lead guitar along with Clapton. My research says that the guitar riff was based on one Albert King played on his song as the years go passing by. I couldn't hear the guitar lick, but the vocal melody does match Layla's guitar riff. There is nothing I can do If you leave me here to cry This next name is the ancient Mesopotamian goddess associated with love, beauty, sex, war, justice and power. It is also a great song by the Tea Party off their awesome second album, The Edges of Twilight. <laughs> 
This is Inanna. Over the sky and sea, my love. Over the sky and sea. Riding the crest of winds above. Bringing her back to me. Into the star and sea, my love. Into the Choice is my favourite song from this band's debut album from 1993. The lyrics and mood of the whole record is superb and have a depth that I haven't heard from these guys since. The melody in this song is beautiful. I just wish the singer would stick to the melody on live versions. At first listen, I hated this album, but I was working in a music shop years ago and they had it on repeat for a few weeks and now I love every song on it. Here, the singer explains the story behind the song. There was this period where I got really, really sick of playing music, and I, uh, I, I saved up some money from landscaping, and I, I bought a backpack and some, some boots, and me and a friend got tickets and went over to Europe, just to backpack around Europe. It was like the summer of 1989. I ended up on this Greek island, and I met this girl named Anna, and uh, I, I, I completely fell in love with her, and, and I think vice versa, which is a, a dumb thing to do in the middle of the summer on a Greek island because the girl's from Australia and you're from California. And the last thing, you should have a fling, you know, that the last thing you need to do is fall in love with the girl from Australia because you've got, you don't have years, you have weeks, you know, and then everyone goes home and, you know, we were kids and the plane tickets are too expensive. You can't change these things, you know? And uh, it was just really difficult because nobody wants to really cop to how important they feel about it because it just it's a, it's a it's a it's a hole that you're going to fall into you know and so the the song is really about um denial you know the the characters in the song keep saying to each other no you know i'm not ready for this sort of thing in, until the very end when when it's too late and they realize that what they really weren't ready for is the loss and uh it's a terrible thing to find out because it's it's uh it's too late which is which is what it ended up being at that point, and it's it's uh, it's funny. She's she's married now, and uh, she's got a kid, and she she still lives in Sydney, and we still talk every once in a while, not too much, but uh, and whenever I talk to her, she still tells me that she loves this song, and I do too. That this is a uh, this is Anna begins. Anna begins counting crows. Talking in her sleep It's 
I know the next song is about the virtue and not the girl's name, but I need to shoehorn this amazing singer into an episode. Gone way too fast after only one album, here's Jimmy Page's take on a singer and a possible collaboration between the two, which would have been an interesting project. I, and I heard one of his last concerts in, uh, in Australia, penultimate concert, and it was just absolutely staggering. He was absolutely, I mean, you know, he just touched every emotion in you, you know. And he was he was really su- superb and in a total class of his own, as you know, because you've heard so many singers and you go, well, they got that from Jeff Buckley. He was so, you know, he was iconic and, 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 and really... And really just a, a total class of his own, as I say. And so I was really deeply affected by by his music and I, th- I thought he was a master. Uh, and I, I, it was tragic to hear that he died. But it was, there was a weird irony when somebody said that, that I've heard that, that he was singing a whole lot of love. And I don't, if you're saying it's his road manager said it, because I didn't know whether it was true or there was a, yeah. He had he had actually sort sort of said that was in that was in Australia that it'd be really good if we'd done something together. Uh, can you imagine how I would love to have done that with him? But you know he he started doing a second album and then he called a halt and then he started up again. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's, it's a tragic loss. My God, was he good? Jeff Buckley, Grace. Here's an interesting Jeff Buckley nugget where he talks about how inspiration guides his song arrangements. But where did you shape your musical vision? Was it what you heard? Was it what you felt uh, pulling out of the air? And how long did how long have you been carrying this vision? Was it clearly defined early on as to what you how you wanted to make music? Yes, yes, and yes. Maybe. Um, I suppose I would. Um, 
Maybe meaning to, to always having it. Um, I guess I always knew what I didn't want. But I prefer, it's sort of like predicting the future. I mean, like any time you make plans for the future, an emotional future with somebody or, you know, any, any future whatsoever. There's nothing quite as spectacular as, as what the future will provide you without your help. So, oh boy, I hope I pull this into some sense well, now. You can do it now, man. Do, focus. What I mean is when I have an arrangement in mind or when I have a song, an issue inside, like a song coming out, um, I don't put a result on it. I don't put it like, I want this to do this, and I want this section to do this, blah, blah, blah. I, it, it comes, the emotion has lyrics and a, and a melody and a, and, a, and a background to it, and I let it shape itself. Are you surprised then where the music takes you? No, because it's somewhere recessed. It's, it's sort of like a storm that you see off in the distance, and you know you will get messed up by the storm, you just sit and wait for it. <laughs> Next up, we have another song that is a place, but also happens to be a girl's name, so I'm going to add it in. A great song about death that has a slight Rolling Stones country-ish vibe, like Wild Horses does, a song I love, and we'll definitely get to Wild Horses in a later episode. Here's the great rival sons actually chatting about the Stones song, Wild Horses, a little bit about some studios they have recorded in. Recordings, RCA one. Yeah. So obviously Elvis straight away, and then you went down to Muscle Shoals as well, right? Yeah, we so did. So are you feeling the kind of the ghosts of all these greats seeping through the walls it, it when you're in the dreams? Like you say, like um, that, that, that there's a feeling that there is ghosts or like an energy to the room, but you know what? There just is. There's a feeling in a room. I Do you think, think it's almost sorry to interrupt. But is it almost you kind of? projecting your idea of what these guys would expect of you or and that reflects back at you or they is it there's something really spiritual there, like I think there's the something to be said about that yeah yeah well look it, it works this way it's equal parts yes because when you <laughs> when you go in like going to RCA Studio A or going down to Muscle Shoals you're standing where the giants stood you're not them <laughs> you have um, and you know that you're standing on their shoulders so you have the responsibility of really trying to pay your respect to the craft because on the timeline you're the guys that are there doing that at this time. Mm. They were the people doing it at that time. Doing relatively the same thing and speaking your truth in your way but knowing that they were there doing it there is that mantle that you, you want to pay as much respect you know and you want to be reverent to that and just knowing that it took place there it makes you aware of that right from day one. Well, Muscle Shoals is a nice link to the album oh, yeah. you're going to do as well, because obviously the Stones recorded. Though, were you at Fame or were you at the Jackson Highway? We were at the Jackson Highway. Ah, so you're in the same room that the Stones actually recorded Wild Horses. So when I ask sometimes our guests, you know, what are your links to this tune? I mean, you have a direct one in the sense you've been in that room, the same space. But when did you first hear Wild Horses? I mean, it's such a one of these songs that's in the kind of public consciousness. But there must have been a time where you heard it for the first time, you got the shiver down your spine. It's like, whoa, you know, this is... Super young. It would have been like yeah. uh, nine years old to like really realize what, what was going on and who I was here. And I listened, I was raised on the stunts, you know? Yeah. It's a... Birth. But I think when I was starting to get into guitar playing and thinking, I want to be a guitar player and hearing that song, probably like nine, ten years old. Yeah. And just playing it. Because they cut three tracks in there and there. They did Wild Horses, Brown Sugar, and You Got to Move, I think, for Sticky Fingers. That makes sense. In that session, I think. 
Is it you got to move? I think so because it's yeah, the that's, Fred that makes sense. Isn't it? Yeah, and it's so funny that but it's so wild the stones that they end up having this like country feel from where they're from to where they go. Yeah, when you get in the room, you kind of get it. In some way, I don't get how they embody this like country rock thing, but they sure do. It's like works. I and think Graham's on the scene by then as well. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a big part of it. I think yeah. when I was uh, listening to that at a young age, and then throughout your teens, um, it's such a romantic phrasing you know um because you're hearing the country western and then you're hearing mick jagger trying to sound southern very obviously not so i it, <laughs> so it's coining this british hybrid southern uh drawl his best one is far away eyes oh my god yeah <laughs> That's the one. That's so, so you're hearing it but it's, it's really he's really going for it yeah you're hearing it it's such a romantic song and i've been covering it for years because it's something you can relate to. You know, you have the regret, you have the adoration, you have the, the introspection, and then still, throughout all of that, you have that chorus that won't quit yeah. because it's so heart-wrenching. And a real vulnerable take for Mick. Yeah, really. absolutely. You know, Mick isn't this, like, big singer. He's, you know, we know Mick like this, like, attitude singer. It's like... This is a really vulnerable track. I thought you were going to give us your best mix. I was about to, but I'm going to... He just did. I snuck it in. (laughs) Still a little early, isn't it? It's a vulnerable track, and you can hear that, I think, in his take, which is really cool. Really nice. Check out my website, arockandrollrabbithole.com, and click on the tab marked Golden Magic to see a great clip of Ozzy Osbourne complimenting rival son's keys man, Todd. He has a great line in there. I'm not stroking you, I'm telling you. I've also popped up a version of the Rival Sons doing the before-mentioned Wild Horses magic. Such a nice day. Let's give him a song about death. Okay. It's called Jordan. (laughs) The wolves look to the moon The ocean to the sky I've looked to you my whole life Now I have to say goodbye But to say that I've lost you Is a selfish thing to say I've never seen nothing as beautiful Watching you slip away Check out episode one's building intros. We also had a couple of nuggets in there. Guns N' Roses' My Michelle and Rod Stewart's Maggie May. For the next song, I've done some basic conversion for you. 
19 stone is about 120 kilos or 260-ish pounds. ACDC, whole lot of Rosie. Won't tell your story about a woman I know. I come loving, steal the show. She ain't exactly pretty, ain't exactly small. Four, two, third, nine, fifty-six. You can see she got it. next one was a huge Aussie hit from the 70s that was a number one single and was just over 11 minutes long but was essentially three songs in one. Part one was kind of baby it'll be great once we're together, part two was kind of baby it's so great now that we're together and part three was baby it's so bad since you left me. A 20 year old Malcolm Young played rhythm guitar on the song that his older brother George wrote with his Easy Beats bandmate Harry Vander. The singer was from the Easy Beats as well, Stevie Wright. Google Stevie's sad later years of serious, deep heroin addiction. A brutal read. This song mentions the girl's name 41 times, and here they are. by Stevie Wright. to the stage for an autograph in my early, early career. And I said, you are the prettiest thing I've ever seen. She had this red hair, green eyes, fair skin. And I said, what is your name? And she said, Jolene. I said, oh, I bet you're named after your dad. I bet your dad's named Joe. She said, no, it's just Jolene. <laughs> 
I said, well, that's the prettiest name I've ever heard. So I just started, yeah, I was going, Jolene, Jolene, Jolene. I said, I'm going to write a song about you, and if you ever hear it, you'll know it was about you. Well, Jolene is just, it's just got a deep rhythm, you know, where you can just like da dun It's one of my favorite ones. And what I love about it now is that everybody responds so positively to the song. It's like, yes, you know, that's what and my little songs. I always say my songs are like my children. And I expect them to support me when I'm old. So it's like if your songs are your children, when one of them does become a hit, then you get to sing it and people react. It's like one of your children's done really good. You know, maybe your child has, you know, become, you know, a banker or a teacher or in the case of I Will Always Love You, the president, maybe. <laughs> Spring, your voice is soft like summer rain, and I cannot compete with you, Jolene. Jolene, 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 Jolene. Well, I'm you. Please don't take my man. Jolene, 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 Jolene. was obviously Dolly Parton with Jolene and White Stripes with their version of Jolene. The big rumour about this next song was that it was written about David Bowie's wife Angela. Angela Bowie had written in her autobiography that she once walked in on Bowie and Mick Jagger in bed together. A story Jagger denies. But Keith cleared up the origins of this song in his 2010 autobiography Life where he wrote while I was in the drug clinic in March and April 1972, Anita, his wife, was down the road having their daughter, Angela. Once I came out of the usual trauma and I wrote Angie in an afternoon sitting in bed because I could finally move my fingers and put them in the right place again. And I didn't feel like I had to shit the bed or climb the walls or feel manic anymore. It was not about any specific person. It was just a name. I didn't know that Angela was going to be called Angela when I wrote Angie. In those days, you didn't know what sex the thing was going to be until it popped out. When will those clouds all
song was written by the singer on piano with her then boyfriend and released in 1975 and went on to be voted number 488 in the 500 Greatest Songs of All Time by Rolling Stone magazine. Rhiannon Fleetwood Mac. writer of this next song has never actually said what this song is about, but there are two common interpretations. It could be about his divorce from his wife Jane, which happened about a year before this was recorded. Another possibility is that it's about marijuana. Mike Campbell, Tom Petty's guitar player, offered this explanation. My take on it is it can be whatever you want it to be. A lot of people think it's a drug reference, and if that's what you think, it very well could be. But it could also just be a goodbye love song. Mary Jane's Last Dance, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. She grew up in an Indiana town, had a good looking mom. She never was around, but she grew up tall and she grew up bright with the Indiana boys on an Indiana night. Age 18, she blew the boys away. It was more than they'd seen. I was introduced and we both started grooving. She said, I dig you, baby, but I got to keep moving. On. Keep moving on. Last dance with Mary Jane. One more time to kill the It's really my first good song. I mean, really, really good song. 
And I was sitting there as, and I was probably 80% finished, 85%. And I was aware that at that right then, that it was a really great song, far above me. I just thought, man, this is a classic. This is, it just felt that way. Well, it has become a classic. Right. Which raises the question, so much of your music is timeless. My grandson's high school through college, even they want to say even they, we're talking the middle of the second decade of the 20th century, about music that was written in the 1960s and 70s. They know the words of all the songs. It, it's classic. And that raises the question, what makes a classic? Oh, <laughs> um, I'm not sure I can put it in words. I just think it's something you feel, and I think millions of people do it that same way. And I'm not sure that you can tell the other person what that is. I mean, to, to be a very poor science professor, you could say things like, well, economy of words, or a good melody, a memorable melody, um, something that rings true in your heart, that, Perhaps that you that states something you believe and it touches other people's hearts and goes well to, to, for it to be a classic. I suppose that you would have to have numbers. Right. Um, so I mean, I, I'm I, I would be very poor at trying to describe it because I I'm not sure it can be described. I, I sure know you sense it when you hear it. And you sense with proud Mary from the beginning that it was. Really good. Best yes. thing ever done. Yes. Yes, and I and beyond that, I mean, I, I really felt that it measured up to those other people and those other songs that I admired so greatly. That's why I was so excited. I, I would say almost scared. There's a, probably a better word, but I was trembling, um, holding the paper and looking at it because it was sort of like holding nitroglycerin or something. You know, was, whoa, this thing's so something. I don't I don't want to drop it and have it just, you know, blow up. I was very agitated about it because it hadn't happened to me before. And yet I was darn sure that, you know, this is a classic songwriting, you better start to get more organized. So I got this little notebook. And a few days later the very first title came to me, Proud Mary. And so, I, and I didn't know what Proud Mary means. I, I, I thought maybe it might be a domestic, an actual person named Mary. Uh, I really didn't know, but I wrote it down, and that was, for a short while there anyway, the only entry. It's still the first entry in that songwriting book that I still have. And then, lo and behold, several months later, when I'm now motivated to write Proud Mary and looking around for, well, what is this thing called? I'm sort of into this narrative about a riverboat in the Mississippi and all that. And I open my book, and there it is on the, Proud Mary, it's a boat. That's the name of the boat. It's Proud Mary. So it's, it's almost like a, some guided hand was making this go to a certain place. Um, it's still quite odd to me that it, that it occurred that way. Uh, but anyway, to get back to the wonder idea, um, I knew that covering other people's songs was probably a very short avenue. <laughs>
that was the last of the choices before I get to my favorite in a few minutes. But every episode, I want to include a funny, crazy, or interesting story about one of the songs or artists. And today's story is about a song I played earlier, Whole Lot of Rosie by ACDC. Here's Malcolm Young explaining where Bon Scott came up with the idea for the lyrics. You know, that went with a story with Bon from the, uh, when the band was just kicking around in Melbourne in the 74, early 74, and uh, we were all broke all the time with staying in hovels. And, um, and I remember Bon, you know, he, he, he said, listen, Mal, there's a couple of girls, and, you know, one's a pretty, one's ugly, and one's sort of cute, but she's huge. <laughs> But they've offered to make us dinner. <laughs> so we, we jumped back fence and then we went and uh, cut the long story short. At the end of the night after dinner and drinks, Big Rosie grabs Bon and says, right, you're mine for the night. And I run away from the other one. I, I went home and, uh, and Bon woke up in the morning, squashed against the wall. <laughs> this big girl in a single bed. And uh, so he, he, and he tried to get away, and she grabbed him again, <laughs> and got you know got more payment for a, for a meal. So and he come back and told us, and we said, oh, we got to get a song title about this one, Bob, you know. So he came up with a whole lot of Rosie. So we knocked it together pretty quick in the studio. I think we knocked it together in half an hour. We laid it down in, in the studio pretty quick. It just it was just rocking, you know. So we had some music from the session before, and we felt it was really good the music, but we never had a good lyric for it. But as soon as this rosy thing happened, we went, "There's the song for it." So we stuck it onto this backing track we had. And, uh, and that was it. So, uh, and it's unfortunate. We never had it with Bond. We never had a Rosie inflatable. We, we really didn't have the money for production at that time. But when uh, we got Brian in and everything, back and black, the success of it, we decided to get, we'll get a big fat Rosie up on the stage. You know, Bond would have a, a nice little chuckle about that, you know, if he was looking down, you know. And the, and the fans love it. Yeah, they love it. The backing track Malcolm's talking about was a demo called Dirty Eyes.
Let's take a short break and quickly recap the magic before I get to my favourite song with a girl's name in the title. So here's the last of them and my first choice for one simple reason. I love this song to death and I always have. The lyrics and melody just cave my head in. The singer wrote, I've always told people that I wrote the song after seeing a beautiful checkout girl at a supermarket. She had a face for which a ship might have once been named. Scoundrels might have once fought jewels to defend her honour. Now she was punching in the prices on cans of beans at a cash register and looking as if all the hopes and dreams of her youth were draining away. All that were left would soon be squandered to a ruffian who told her venient lies and trapped her still further. There's a great version of the singer playing this song with Elvis Presley's guitar on TV with Priscilla Presley on the couch next to him. Check it out as he square pegs an Elvis Presley song in there and winks at the gorgeous Priscilla. One of Elvis's guitars with us, a very famous guitar uh, that Elvis had. We're gonna, this is from 1956, uh, this guitar was made. It's a J200. Elvis used this car on any number of occasions, didn't he, Priscilla? <coughs> there we have tender. King Creole. Okay, so there's the guitar, ladies and gentlemen, from 1956, and this is inevitable. I'm not going to drop it because this is insured for. Uh, yeah, fantastic. I, I think a million dollars, the actual figure this is insured for. It, and it's irreplaceable. So I'm going to give this. I, I, we have permission that you could, because they don't want people touching it because obviously there's stuff on your fingers, which, but they've said that Elvis can hold it and Elvis could play it if he wanted to. Um, it's very special to be in there. You know, I, I learned from this. You see, all the, a lot of country singers, they put their name on the neck, like this. And when the first bit of money I made, I put, I used, there's pictures of me, I've got Elvis Costello up the neck of my guitar. And that was in tribute to these guys. Yeah, I mean, the saddest thing you see, sometimes you'd see one in a pawn shop yeah. with somebody who hadn't made the grade to put his name up the neck, and, oh. then, and then they'd have to sell it. And Danny, Danny Dyer on his grade. <laughs> I'll wear it. This is a fucking moment. Let him crack on. Oh, I... <laughs> oh, it's so funny to be seeing you after so long, girl. 
But the way you look, I understand that you were not impressed. I heard you let that little friend of mine take off your party dress. I'm not going to get too sentimental like those. Others think it's Valentine's Cause I don't know if you were loving somebody I only know it isn't mine Oh, Allison I know this world is kidding We're caught in a trap <laughs> I can't walk out Because I love you too much, baby Circling back to earlier in the episode, here's Elvis and Sting chatting about Roxanne before exploring some melodic options for Alison. Then Sting chimes in with a funny Alison story. When you were writing songs, you, you know, I, I don't know whether you had this experience at of being in a very quiet room, maybe overheard by people, and you maybe play intimately to yourself, and then, of course, the hit version is a raging sound, and you get the chance to play with other musicians, and the emphasis, the rhythmic emphasis can be explored. But some of your earlier songs, they're played, they're written, there are demos of them where you're playing the acoustic guitar. And I heard that, like, Roxanne, which is a, such a famous song, didn't begin life as a, a reggae song. It might have gone through a couple of other rhythms. What, what rhythms did you consider along the way? Can I pick this guitar? By all means. <laughs> Roxanne's an interesting uh, case in point. I'd written Roxanne, I, I was in the police, and it was at the time when it was punk, and you had to have song titles like, I'm gonna kill you, you bitch. <laughs> That's one of my big hits. And, well, there's a story here. I, um, I'd written this song, Roxanne, and I was kind of reticent about taking it to the band. It was a girl's name, you know, they'd something. And then I heard your album, and there's this beautiful song, Alison. So it gave me the confidence. take this song with a soppy girl's name and um, say, you know, you know, Elvis has done it, so we can do it. Okay, then. But it was originally written as a kind of uh, bossa nova or a sort of rumba, uh, which, which, which then was policified. It became whatever it became, a kind of uh, punk tango. But it started life like... Um Roxanne You don't have to put on the red light 
Don't have to sell your body to the night Roxanne You don't have to wear that dress tonight Walk the streets for money You don't have to Whatever it is <laughs> Well look, uh, on, the, on this tour We've just been on the road with you for uh, Almost two months This summer And you've been good enough to come out and, and sing with, with us every night I, I mean, I just thought it was extraordinary That, you know, you did that I, I took that song you mentioned, if I can just play an, a little moment of it for you. And I've been playing it for 30 years and I decided it was time to just see what happened if you changed all of the harmony but kept the melody largely the same. Oh, it's so funny to be seeing you after so long, girl With the way you look I understand that you were not impressed I heard you let that little friend of mine Take off your party dress I'm not gonna get too sentimental Like those other sticky valentines Cause I don't know if you Loving somebody, I only know it isn't mine. Oh, Allison, I know this world is killing you. Allison, my I need to tell a story about that song, okay. Singing With You. Um, when Elvis expresses himself vocally, there's a lot of moisture around. And sharing a microphone with him can be challenging. And uh, when he sings, my aim is true, he is right. Because... After so long, girl And with the way you look I understand that you were not impressed But I heard you let that little friend of mine Take off your party dress I'm not gonna get too sentimental Like those other stick of valentines Somebody, I only know it isn't mine. Allison, I know this world is killing you. Oh, 
Thanks so much for listening, and thanks to Rob Dean at Alley With An Eye Studios for the podcast music, Paddy Cummings at Fingerprint Audio for web and tech help, Simon Russell at Deep Switch Studios for additional tech help, and Matt the Wombat Murderer O'Donnell for proof listening and general podcast format chattery. And as mentioned at the start, if you do want to tell me what I did wrong, could do better or got wrong in this free podcast that took me a few full days to put together, you can send me an email at gofuckyourself at what.youheardme forward slash rabbit hole and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. But seriously, if you do have any suggestions, you can hit me at suggestions at arockandrollrabbithole.com or Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, arockandrollrabbithole.podcast. I'd love to hear from you and check out some new music, some old music, some great YouTube interviews, anything rocking and entertaining. I love it all. And if I do like it, I'll play it and give you a shout out on a future episode. And if you do dig what I'm doing, feel free to tell a friend or two and subscribe and rate the podcast on the Apple Podcast app on your phone and Spotify. You can also visit the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com, for Spotify playlists of each episode, past episodes, and some other golden magic. Thanks again. To end the podcast, I'm going to add, when I can, an example of the topic that I enjoy from a lesser-known band who have had less than 10,000 hits on Spotify or YouTube. This segment is called Sub 10,000, and this episode, my choice is Old Nolene by Doc Halibut. Doc Halibut are a five-piece Melbourne band of manly men, and Old Nolene is taken from their Kraken album, Lucky Star. Visit the Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole website and click the Victims tab for a six-song Doc Halibut playlist of my favourite nuggets. Thanks again, guys. See ya. Take it, Jimmy. I should have listened to old Nolene. You know she's always got plenty to say. She told me, you better tie up your steed or somebody's going to take him away. I said that I ain't old enough yet to have lost my faith in humanity. She said, oh, somebody might have a hungry mouth. They got to feed. Oh, yeah. I should have listened to old Nolene. You know she's always got plenty to say. She told me, you better listen to your heart. Don't let your mind get in the way. I said that I'm a thinker and a doer. I cross the T's and I spit the heads. Said, oh, while you've been thinking, the time has passed and left you standing there. Yeah, should have listened to old Nolene. You know she's always got plenty to say. She told me, don't leave things the last minute. Remember, Rome wasn't built in a day. I said that I got this under control as I poured myself another wine. Say, well, don't come crying when you realize you're out of time. Get what you want returned 
Advice is easier to give than take All those words you don't want to Always got plenty to say. She told me you better build your house of bricks, or someday it's gonna blow away. I said that I can weather any storm, like I've done so many times before. She said, Well, don't cry, wolf, when your world lies in pieces on the floor. Yeah, she said, Don't cry, wolf, when your world lies in pieces on the floor. 